Thank you to our musicians. Um, they're always faithful, always here, putting the time in uh, just to serve us every single week. So thank you to each one of you for that. Busyness does not equal effectiveness. Busyness does not equal effectiveness. I'll never forget one of my favorite stories in high school was right before we graduated, a couple of my friends had just taken their last exam and they thought it would be a really sweet idea to go running down the hallway yelling, we're done, we're done, we're done. Well, our history teacher, government teacher, was a Vietnam vet with two purple hearts and he stepped out into the hall and caught them running down the hall, screaming, we're done, we're done. And he took them, and this was a private school, so this probably wouldn't pass in a public school, but he took them out back behind the school and told them to move a pile of rocks from one side of the parking lot to the other. And then when they had finished doing that, they were to move it back again to the other side that they had just taken it from, move it back and forth. Those guys were busy, but their work was not accomplishing anything at all. They were active, they were doing stuff, they were straining their muscles, but they weren't actually accomplishing much of value at all. We may have a number of events going on in the life of this church, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are being effective in accomplishing God's mission in the world. And if we don't think carefully about what we're doing and why we're doing it, then we may end up simply moving rocks from one side of the parking lot to the other and spinning our wheels and wasting our time, serving no greater purpose. Now, I'm not saying we're doing that, but we have to be intentional and we have to think carefully about what we're doing or we may end up moving rocks to no greater purpose. And so in order to ensure that we are being effective and not just busy, we've been spending the last couple of weeks talking about our mission statement. We've been thinking intentionally about what God's purposes are in the world and then how we as a church can align ourselves with those purposes and accomplish those purposes to the best of our ability, enabled by God's grace, as we seek to be the church in our community and in the world. And so the last couple of weeks, we've talked about our mission statement, and we've talked about the first couple of elements of that. We've talked about the overall purpose of making followers, disciples of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about the first result of being a follower. What does a follower look like? Well, a follower worships God. That's what they do. They worship individually, they worship corporately, and ultimately, the whole life, every day, every activity is a way of worshiping God as you live as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. And so this week, we want to continue in our mission statement, and we'll finish up next week, a four-part series here that we're doing called Our Mission. But this week, we want to continue in that, and we want to hit the next piece of what a follower of Jesus Christ looks like. Here's our mission statement, just to remind you, hopefully this is burned on your heart, and you are reciting it in your sleep now, waking up, going over it. Woodhaven Bible Church exists to make followers of Christ who worship God, connect with one another, and serve the church 
and the world. This is what we are to be all about. And so we want to think carefully this week about this next piece, which is that we, as followers of Christ, are to connect with one another. And this is necessary if we're going to accomplish God's mission for us in our community and in the world. True believers don't live in isolation from one another. We need each other, and God has given us. This is a gift of grace. This body of believers, this gathering this morning, the relationships that we have here, these, these are gifts of grace from God to us. And they're gifts of grace to bring about growth, to bring about maturity, and to accomplish God's mission in the world through us. We don't follow Jesus alone, do we? Thankfully, we don't. We're not on this road following him on the way by ourselves. We have other believers with us as we do this. We follow in community. And the need for a community and for personal relationships, a close-knit group like this church, has never been more evident than it is right now in our culture. It seems like we have so many ways to connect, right? We have, we have technology, we have social media, and those things promise us more ways to connect with one another and better ways to foster relationships. But what actually ends up happening and is currently happening in our culture is that people are becoming more and more fractured, and they're becoming more and more isolated, and they're less invested in personal relationships and in a community of people that can help and encourage and build up. There's an article in the New York Times called How Social Isolation is Killing Us. And I want to read you a few paragraphs from that. So listen to this. My patient and I both knew he was dying. Not the long kind of dying that stretches on for months or years. He would die today, maybe tomorrow. And if not tomorrow, the next day. Was there someone I should call? Someone he wanted to see? Not a one, he told me. No immediate family, no close friends. He had a niece down south, maybe, but they hadn't spoken in years. For me, the sadness of his death was surpassed only by the sadness of his solitude. I wondered whether his isolation was a driving force of his premature death, not just an unhappy circumstance. Every day, I see variations at both the beginning and end of life. A young man abandoned by friends as he struggles with opioid addiction. An older woman getting by on tea and toast, living in filth, no longer able to clean her cluttered apartment. In these moments, it seems the only thing worse than suffering a serious illness is suffering it alone. Social isolation is a growing epidemic, one that's increasingly recognized as having dire physical, mental, and emotional consequences. Since the 1980s, the percentage of American adults who say they're lonely has doubled from 20% to 40%. And articles like this help us to see the need in our lives for community and personal relationship. The need for community is built into how we are designed as human beings. And we can't live against the grain of how God has designed us and expect to flourish and live well. You and I were created for others. We were created for community. And so when we think about this increasing problem of social isolation in our culture, 
And we see that being a healthy follower of Jesus Christ means that you live in community, you connect with other believers. We need to think very carefully about that this morning. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about what it looks like and how we can foster this type of community that we all long for deep in our souls, that we're built to to have. We're made for this sort of personal relationships. So this morning, to organize these thoughts, I want to base it on two questions, and I want to answer those two questions. Here they are. I'll show them to you to help us connect. Why is connecting so vital to discipleship? I mean, that's really the argument we're making this morning, is this is necessary. It's not optional for your discipleship to build relationships within this body. Why is, it, why is connecting so vital to discipleship? And then the second question, that's kind of the, the theology or the philosophy of connecting. And then the second question is the practical, how can we, as Woodhaven Bible Church, foster healthy relationships with one another? So theology and then the, the methodology or the working out of that is the second question. So let's start with this first one. Why is connecting so vital to discipleship? And I'm going to give you the answer to this up front, and then we're going, to, we're going to work back through it, okay? So here's the answer to this. God's plan to create followers of Christ happens through personal relationships that speak the truth in love. So what we're saying this morning is connecting with one another, personal relationships, building a community is necessary to accomplishing God's purposes in the world. God created us for this sort of community, and He advances His mission through people. That's why we're here. He advances His mission through people in relationship with one another. I mean, think about this. Fundamental to the very nature of God is a community of love and relationship, right? What was God doing before anything was created, before anything else existed? He was a triune God living in loving relationship between Father and Son through the communication of the Holy Spirit. In one sense, God is a community. He is the most fundamental community. That's why we are called to love, because God is love existing between the Father and the Son through the Spirit. And that extends all the way back to eternity past. So God is a community, a triune community, and our relationships flow out of that because we are made in His image. You can even see this language of community in Genesis chapter 1 when mankind is created. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, plural, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them for community reflecting God in who he is. You can see this expressed further in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Isolation is not how God designed us to live. Now, obviously, this passage is talking about Eve being created to dwell with Adam. It's talking about the marriage relationship here specifically. But this principle, I think, applies out more broadly. We were not created to live in isolation. 
Adam and Eve would not be able to accomplish the mission that God had given them alone. They were to be fruitful and multiply and have more image bearers, and they were to live in community with those image bearers, with one another. That's how they were designed. Now, of course, the fall into sin splinters that experience of community. It breaks it apart. The peace and the harmony that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden is shattered with the fall. They begin blaming one another for everything that has happened. It's no longer easy or sometimes even possible to have healthy relationships with one another in our sin. I mean, what's the very first story that is recorded outside of the Garden of Eden? Cain and Abel. And you have a brother killing another brother out of enmity and out of anger. You have a human being turning on another human being. Obviously, the experience of peace and community has been completely broken down for that to happen so quickly. And what has happened is strife came in between God and man, and then strife happened between man and man as a result of that. Our relationship with God was broken, and our relationship with one another horizontally was broken because of that vertical relationship. And that's the reality in the world in which we live. If you think about the Old Testament, so many of the laws that were given to the nation of Israel were given to govern their relationships with one another, how they lived in community, because it was difficult and sin broke that apart. There was enmity and anger. Of course, you get to the New Testament, and the beauty here is Jesus Christ comes to reconcile God and man, but also to reconcile man with man and to put the relationships, the broken human relationships, back together. And here's how that works. We've talked about this the last couple weeks, but when you are saved, when you are converted to Jesus Christ, You are united to Him. You are placed objectively in Him, joined to Him. And one of the results of that is when you are joined to Him, you are joined to one another. We are joined together. We are united objectively to one another. So anyone who is united to Jesus Christ is automatically united to other believers. That's a result of this. So there's an objective relationship now between you and I because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Jerry Bridges has some great stuff on this, and he said it this way. Fellowship, we typically think of fellowship as eating together, spending time together. Fellowship is actually the objective sharing in Christ that we have. And all the activities that we think of as fellowship flow from that relationship. Fellowship is sharing a common life in Christ. Only to the extent that we understand and appropriate the life we have in Christ will we be able to share that life with others. It starts with reconciling God and man and flows out into horizontal relationships with one another. And so we live out this objective reality of community in our lives every day. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the practical aspect of this. There's the objective reality, and then there are the functional realities that we live out in life. Let me show you how this works. Connect the dots for you a little bit here. You can see this very clearly in this passage, okay? Hebrews 13, it's on the screen. 
he gives, the author gives some commands here. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison. Probably talking about believers who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, right? So there's all these commands. You ought to ethically live this way with other people who are in the body of Christ. Why? Since you also are in the body. Because you've been joined together, because you've been placed in this relationship, you ought to love one another. It's a natural outcome of that objective reality of that relationship. And this type of reasoning is all over your New Testament. Because you're in Christ and joined together, because you're members of one body, here are the ways that works itself out in daily life. So Christ has reconciled us to one another through his death, and now we live that out by living in community. And as we live in community, God accomplishes his mission through people, through flesh and bone, through us. And that's an amazing, beautiful thing that he has chosen to take his gospel to the world through us as we live together in community. You can see this all over the New Testament. It's hard to even pick examples of this, but I want to show you a few of them, okay? When Paul goes to a new city and engages the believers there, he knows that his ministry comes to them, the gospel comes to them through personal relationships. That's how it works. 1 Thessalonians. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul was engaged in relationship as a father with his child to encourage them and to bring the gospel to them. In the book of Acts, what is one of the first things that happen when you have all of those people saved at the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2, this is not on the screen, but let me read you some of this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the community, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think here you see a connection between their experience of community with one another and the furtherance of the gospel. That's how it works here. And a great text for this is 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul says, we have this treasure. What treasure is that? It's new covenant gospel ministry, the proclamation of the work of Jesus Christ in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. It's here. It's in you. It's in me. God has placed it there to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God has placed the gospel in broken vessels in order to bring that gospel to other broken vessels through relationships 
in community. So, the first question, why is connecting, why is the experience of community so vital to discipleship? Because God created us for community. We are designed that way. He has redeemed us in order to rebuild community within the church. And he uses community to advance his cause in the world. So I think you could say it's pretty important for what God's doing in the world. How we relate to one another is vital for God's mission in our church and his mission in this community. Another author said it this way, and I thought this was really helpful. Individual spiritual dynamics. So your own personal walk with the Lord and corporate spiritual dynamics. So our church body spiritually are interdependent. They go together. You cannot separate them just as the health of the body and the health of its cells are correlative. They go together. You're not an island. You're not living in isolation. How you are spiritually individually and how this congregation is spiritually impact one another in dramatic and important ways. So with all of that in mind, I hope you are seeing how vital this is to your individual discipleship and to God's mission in the world. I hope you're thinking, okay, I'm convinced. How do we do this? How do we foster this? How do we foster healthy relationships with one another based on the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I mean, that's where it all starts. Because we have that objective relationship in Christ with one another, we begin there and we work out the implications of that in daily life. And I want to give you three ways to foster healthy relationships, all right? Three areas that we can focus on to help foster these relationships one with another. Three areas to consider, all right? The first one of these is space, not the final frontier. (laughs) But you have to create space in your life for this. In my house, we have lots of Legos, lots of Legos. Some look like this. Now, I did not know this until this week, but those little bumps on the top of the Legos, studs. I had no idea that's what they were called, but I looked it up because I was thinking about how to articulate this to you, and they're called studs. But those little bumps on the top of the Legos, those are necessary in order to connect one Lego to the other for them to hold firmly together and to build a house or whatever it is, a castle, whatever you're going to build with Legos, you have to connect those studs to the underside of the Lego on top. Now, each Lego has a limited number of spots that you can use to connect them to other Legos. And this is helpful, I think, for us practically because we can't connect with one another. Give Mark a chance there. (laughs) Is it me? Just go to the pulpit, Mike, if you need to. We can't connect with one another if we don't have space on our Legos. If we don't have opportunity, if we don't build into our lives space where we can engage other people and other believers. 
If we're going to build a community that promotes spiritual health and maturity and accomplishes God's mission in the world, we have to make space on our Lego to be able to do that. So just real practically speaking, let's talk about this for a second here, okay? I know we're all busy, right? We all say that. I say it. Man, we're so busy. There's so much happening. I get it. And let me just exhort you in one area. It's very easy to have long-term and established relationships that are very comfortable and that come naturally to us. And those are good relationships to have, and we all need those type of relationships. They can be with family. They can be with friends that we've known for many years, maybe friends that we grew up with. You need those. But oftentimes, those type of relationships take up all the space with other things on the Lego, and we just don't have any more space for new believers, for people who are trying to get involved in the church. And we just don't have the space for them, and so it's very difficult to develop and foster a community that advances God's mission. In order to build that community, we have to examine our lives and look and see How can I make space? How can I make this a priority? If building a community is this important to my growth and to God's purposes, then how can I find a way to connect with those who are new to us? How can I open up some space on my Lego for these type of people? So I would just encourage you to honestly look at your life, at your schedule, at what you're doing, and just evaluate how and where and when you can open up some space for these type of relationships. And you will be, I think, amazed at what happens when you do, at how rich the experience is, and how you are challenged and you grow when you invest in other people that maybe it just doesn't come quite as naturally and quite as easy to you. I think that's what God's calling us to as we think about building a community. So we need space. We also need a right kind of speech. So relationships don't happen without communicating. It's a fundamental part of every relationship. You have to communicate with one another. We need the speech of others in order to grow in Christ. Some of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He has this fantastic little book called Life Together, and it talks about building a community of believers that encourage one another. And he talks about how necessary our speech is to other believers and how necessary it is for us individually. Let me read you this quote here. If you can't see it, if it's too small, just listen and I'll read it to you. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. And that also clarifies the goal of all Christian community. They meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. Think about that last phrase for a second. This is how our relationships with one another 
biblically must be defined. We have Christ in common, and because we have him in common, he is the center of our relationships, and we meet one another as bringers of the message of salvation. And I have to, when I read that, I started thinking, okay, what sort of a bringer am I when I interact with people? What do I bring to the conversation and to the relationship? What sort of message do I convey when I enter a room and I begin to engage other people? What do I bring? Do I, with my words, convey God's grace, His truth, His love? Or do I convey something else entirely? I thought of a couple of other options, a couple of other bringers. Let me throw these out there and see if you can relate to these. You can be a bringer of gloom and doom. And you know this person, right? If the optimist sees the glass as half full, the pessimist sees the glass as half empty, this person sees the glass as filled with cyanide. Some people, when they come into a room or when they enter into a conversation, everything seems to tend toward what is wrong, what is difficult. And those people say things like, well, somebody's got to be a realist. We do live in a broken world. There's no doubt about it. Things are difficult. We all have difficulties and struggles in our lives. But if you divorce those difficulties from the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, and you focus only on the difficulties, then you're not being truthful, and you're not actually being a realist. We have to talk about the goodness of God. Our difficult lives have been invaded by God's grace. And that should shape and color the way we talk to one another, the way we speak to one another. We have hope, and if that is not reflected in our conversation, we're not being a bringer of the message of salvation. Another bringer for you to consider. The bringer of self. And this is a constant temptation for me. Bethany tells me that Pastors get used to people listening to them talk, so they think everyone always wants to hear them talk. (laughs) And I think that's a fair point, right? So people like this seem to think that the purpose of relationships is to give them a platform to talk about self. Anything that comes up is any story that is told reminds them of a story about themselves that they now share with you. And when you talk, it's as if they're waiting till you're done to interject. I mean, this is the classic me monster, and the me monster is alive and well, and often alive and well in my heart, the bringer of self. And you could probably come up with a number of other bringers, but here's the point. Because we've been saved by grace through Christ and because we've been placed in community with one another based on the gospel, we ought to be bringers of the message of salvation to one another. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means a number of things. It means the manner of your speech and the content of our speech must be shaped by the gospel. The manner, the tone of our speech has to befit salvation We have been saved by grace. Paul exhorts us this way in Colossians 4, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
Grace multiplies. Grace begets grace in the community. Grace is gentle and not harsh. It loves. Grace desires what is good. So the manner in which we speak befits the gospel, but the content of our speech befits the gospel as well. We apply the truths of Christ's work to daily life. We talk about it. We bring encouragement when there's despair. We bring challenge when there's sin. We bring perspective when our thinking has been shaped by the world. That's a bringer of the message of salvation. Being a bringer of the message of salvation also means that I relate to others as a redeemed sinner who is dealing with other redeemed sinners. I know that's true. Because of that, sin will never fully disrupt our experience of community. It may make things difficult, but because I know that I'm a sinner, and hopefully you know that I'm a sinner, you are not shocked and in despair when I sin against you. Instead, you respond in forgiveness and in grace because you know that you have been saved by Christ and you have been forgiven, and I do the same thing, and we do that back and forth to one another. And there's disruption and there's difficulty, but it's never, our community is never shattered and broken apart because we're bringers of the message of salvation. Being a bringer of the message of salvation also means that we listen to one another. And this is so key to experiencing community. If I'm always talking, I'm never listening and never understanding you and what's going on in your life. I listen in order to serve, just as Christ has served us. Bonhoeffer is really helpful here again. He says this, Just as love to God begins with listening to his word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. What's the most fundamental, practical thing you and I can do to show love to one another? Listen. Listen. Bonhoeffer goes on. It is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but also lends us his ear. So it is his work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to him. It's God's work that we do when you and I sit there and we listen to a hurting brother or sister. And when we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we don't think the whole thing is about us and centered on us. So our speech matters in how we experience community. And then the last one of these is our steps matter. So we've got our space. There has to be a space in which we can speak and in which we can practice these steps that I'm going to share with you here. Space, speech, and steps. To foster genuine community that builds us up and that impacts the world with God's mission, we have to step toward one another in these relationships. We have to step toward one another with acts and attitudes of love centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel is the good news of what Christ has done for us, and that news has implications for the way you and I live. And those implications are these steps. The New Testament is filled with these implications. And a lot of them 
are commands that end with the words, one another. Look through your New Testament and see how many times we are commanded to blank one another. There are at least 30 of these commands given in the New Testament. And these are not raw legalistic commands. They flow from that one another union that we have because of the work of Jesus Christ. These are the natural outworkings of the fact that we've been joined together. So what are some of these commands? Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Greet one another. Counsel one another. Bear with one another. Confess your sins to one another. And the list goes on and on. And it's not meant to be overwhelming. It's meant to guide us as we take steps toward one another to know what to do to work out this reality of our community. This is what it looks like in daily life. So create space. Speak to one another as it befits the gospel. Be bringers of the message of salvation and step toward one another in acts and attitudes of love. The bottom line of all of this is that you and I need one another and our mission depends on the strength of the community that we have here in this body. It's vital. So let's work out these relationships by the grace of God by recognizing the work of Christ and living out the implications of that in daily life. Let's pray. Father, you've been so good to us. You've been so gracious to us. You have saved us individually, no doubt, and you have placed us into this body here at Woodhaven. And we have the experience of community with one another. And so I pray that you would do two things in our hearts this morning. Help us to recognize the work of Jesus Christ, the union that we have with him, the glory of being forgiven of our sins and given the righteousness of Christ, the fact that we have been saved. Help us to know the gospel in that way and then help us to see the implications of that for our community here at Woodhaven. Help us to think deeply and carefully about how this looks in our context and what I need to do personally to cultivate this type of community. And we only do those actions based on your grace, and we thank you for what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.